0: The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Lynette's Shrimp House, located in Highland Park. It's Metro Detroit's premier destination, serving juicy fried shrimp, fish, and wings, alongside soul food sides, and new additions to the menu, like turkey tacos and desserts. Located at 13548 Woodward in Highland Park, just north of the Davidson, Lynette's is open for takeaway, noon to 8, Tuesday and Thursday, noon to 10 p.m., Friday and Saturday, and noon to 5 p.m. on Sunday. Call now. Get some Lynette's. Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline. Detroit, very glad to have you with me today, and and we've got something really, really cool to talk about today. Now, you may recall several months ago, my friend Desiree Cooper uh, was joining us on the program to talk about a film project that she has been working on for quite a while uh, called uh, Sarah Ray, Detroit's Other Rosa Parks. We have an update on this whole project that we're going to get to today. But I'd first like to welcome my guests again, Desiree Cooper, longtime journalist, formerly of the Detroit Free Press, now of course a filmmaker. Desiree, always a pleasure to have you. Welcome back.
1: Thanks, Craig. I appreciate it. And of course, the
0: director of the film, Aaron Schillinger, is with us as well. We're glad to have you today, sir. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, well, I think it's important before we get to the big news um, about cementing this woman's legacy and making sure it is preserved in Detroit, I, we should do a little backstory on Sarah Ray because she was a much more important figure, not just in Detroit history, but in civil rights history in the United States. If it wasn't for Sarah Ray, uh, it's entirely possible uh, that schools could still be, you know, non-integrated in this country. I, I hate to put it that that starkly because I'd hate to think that we would still be in that sort of world here. But this case really did open it up, Desiree.
1: Yeah. Well, way back in 1945, Sarah Ray was only 24 years old. She was a secretarial school graduate and she went with her graduating class to ride the Pablo boat. What better way to celebrate your graduation? She was the only African-American with the group and they ended up kicking her off the boat because at the time they had that policy of segregation. Um, she was not happy, went right to the NAACP, filed a lawsuit that went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Thurgood Marshall was on the case, arguing the amicus, and she won. She won all the way up and won the right to write the Bobo vote, and they had to integrate after that. So drawing that line, Craig, that you're making between that and desegregating schools is that this was all part of the NAACP strategy of testing how these cases were going to work once they got to actually trying to strike down separate but equal in the United States. So she was a stepping stone to a seminal case, Brown versus Board.
0: Well, I- exactly. And you've got a situation, again, Thurgood Marshall uh, is arguing this case on on her behalf. And I mean, the guts that it must have taken at that time period to take up a case like this in the first place. One, there's Tremendous cost involved in something like this. So you don't do that lightly. Um, but two, you're taking on an entrenched uh, system that that really isn't necessarily that open to change. and And so for her to have the guts to do this is pretty remarkable.
1: Right. And, you know, what's really remarkable is uh, the incident happened in 1945. And Detroiters will all remember that in 1943, just two years earlier, there was a terrible riot on Belle Isle, a race riot. Um, and people were, were killed. And it was all about integrating an amusement um, area. And so here she is on another vehicle of amusement, actually the Bob boat, um, pushing her case even further for herself and, and for her people. Um, and so yeah, that was definitely a courageous act at the time.
0: Well, and, and Aaron, I mean, you know, when you're telling this story and you're looking it up and, and trying to figure this out, I mean, it's just the fact that I think there's a lot of people that would be shocked um, in this day and age to think that you know here in the north, right? Like these types of things were happening. Uh, that the, something as simple as the Boblo boat would have policies like this. And, and I think the educational aspect of that is really eye-opening for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, um, that's that's a myth that we kind of uncovered in our research is people think, you know, once they got out of the South that African-Americans kind of escaped that Jim Crow segregation. But, um, you know, Sarah was so angry and, ups- and humiliated that day on the Bible because she had worked so hard to get away from that. Um, and so I think that's kind of an underreported aspect of segregation is that it wasn't just in, in the South.
0: Well, you know, in trying to do research for this, I mean, how much material was out there about this case? Was there a lot of resources to to rely on or was this just a whole lot of time looking at microfiche in the library?
2: Well, we are still researching the case and its implications. Um, It's kind of cool. If you Google Bablo Excursion Company versus the state of Michigan, you can find the transcript of the case out there. Um, But the case is, I, I mean, that transcript is just... It doesn't really tell the story of who was Sarah Elizabeth Ray. Like, what was her personality like? What did she do after she integrated Bablo Island? Because she was only twenty-four years old. So we're still digging around in in the Library of Congress to find out. Okay, what other court cases cited Bablo Excursion Company versus the State of Michigan? Um, what What did the NAACP do w- with that that landmark win? Um, and so meanwhile, we have this other area of research that's focused on her as a person, because when you're making a film or writing a book, two books, as Desiree's going to mm-hmm. do, um, you want to get at, you know, the contradictions or, you know, the interesting things of what makes that person unique.
0: Well, well Des, I mean, the opportunity to, to put your reporting hat back on for, for this kind of research and, and to do these types of interviews and everything. Uh, what has this been like for you as you sort of learn more about this person and who she was?
1: Well, I have to say that Erin and I have become obsessed people. And <laughs> we also feel that um, in some ways she's she's speaking to us. I know that sounds weird and like leading us in different directions. So as you pointed out, Craig, I mean, we've had to really just start from the bottom and do sort of historical archaeology because she is so under um, documented. And that led us to her home which still stands on Detroit's East side, which I think we both were surprised um, to find that to be true. Um, And this was last year. And then we um, realized that many of her belongings were still like laying on the floor. She died in two 2006 at the age of 88, pretty much in poverty and anonymous. And that house is still there. And it's like her belongings are just strewn all over the place. And so We feel like that is something that, that tells a story as well.
0: Well, we'll talk about the house in just a minute because there is a big announcement there, but I want to get back to the, something you just mentioned said, you know, she died in poverty, even though, I mean, she lived a pretty amazing life. Um, You know, the, the work that she actually did after this case um, and, and she, of course, married an activist as well. Talk a bit about what you have been able to learn about her professional life after, after this
1: case. Yeah, we always say there's kind of like two Sarahs. There's the one that was on the boat and took a case to the Supreme Court, changed the world. Right. And then there's the Sarah that changed her neighborhood. Um, Later, she did get married to an, an activist and together they established the action house. Um, in an east side neighborhood and brought the ha- bought the house next door to live there. And that was one of the uh, first wave of community-based organizations that are just so pro- prolific around Detroit right now. This is right after the rebellion, 1968. They start this nonprofit, and they're trying to work toward racial harmony stabilizing the neighborhood, and also just kind of giving cultural enrichment and opportunity to the young people and the families that are there. I mean, they gave Thanksgiving turkeys and, you know, lunches every day, uh, after-school programs, et cetera. And yet, despite all of those people that she must have touched, the neighborhood ended up going the way of so many uh, Detroit neighborhoods with a loss of resources, a loss of people. People moved out. And that house is just sitting there by itself.
0: It, yeah, I want to talk about that for just a second because this is, you know, there are a number of of houses like this in Detroit where where somebody important lived. I think of the Ossian Sweet House which is still standing at uh, Garfield and Charlevoix there, but that's needed some intervention to to keep from declining further. Uh, mm-hmm. getting these places saved so that people can learn about these people going forward is is a huge endeavor. It's not that easy to do. Um but you have just gotten some really, really good news on this front. And and I want you guys to talk a bit about what this is going to mean for the preservation of this home. The National Register of Historic Places uh, actually included this on a pretty important list.
1: Right. So the National Trust for Historic Preservation has announced that Sarah's house on Woodlawn on the east side of Detroit is one of the 11 most endangered historic places in the United States. Um, and so they have recognized the, the historic relevance of the house, the journey that Sarah walked, and they are calling attention to the fact that it's it's here, but barely. And we've got to do something to try to preserve that legacy. Well, I mean, that's going to
0: get the attention of city officials, obviously. Um, and, and I'm wondering if there has been any sort of outreach there and, and what the response has been.
2: Well, one thing uh, early on is when we first found out that her house still was standing last year, um, we we reached out to the Detroit Land Bank and they responded right away and took it off the demolition list. So that, you know, we were able to take a a breath of air and be like, okay, you know, this house is going to be here for a little bit. Um, And since then, things have just been tied up with some legal red tape. So we haven't been able to extract the materials that Des was talking about that are still in the house. I mean, we, we got a right of access. So we were able to take some photographs and we can talk about that later inside the house. Um, But when you look at pictures inside, you see that there's pictures, letters, um, books, you know, Sarah's handwriting is on all of this stuff. And um, we are very eager to get it out of the house because the roof, you know, the roof is open. So it's exposed to the elements And they're just kind of sitting in soggy piles in there. So we do want somebody to help us save the house. But even before that, we'd like somebody to allow clear the red tape and let us go in there or bring somebody else to extract these materials. Uh,
0: Well, as far as it goes in in terms of helping tell the story, uh, there's got to be a... hundreds of different leads in there. You could follow people that maybe knew her uh, people that could tell you a little bit about what she was about and and her personality. Um, How important is it to you guys in telling a complete story to get access to
1: this? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It just helps us paint an entire picture. We know that she kept, uh, you know, journals, uh, telephone books, you know, and so there are names of people. And then there's stuff. She was very creative. So we, she wrote poetry. She sang. She, she was a professional dancer. And so we're hoping to have some glimpses of all that too, if we can get access to all those materials. Um, we're not preservationists. You know, Erin's a filmmaker. I'm a writer. And so we're not the people who are going to go in, you know, brick by brick and and save this house. But we are the people who will advocate tooth and nail for that to happen and do whatever we can to make sure that le- legacy gets saved, the house to the extent that it can be, gets saved, the contents be archived, extracted and archived. And we want this to be available to the public, to the neighborhood itself, so that people can find out more about the, the woman that sort of went before them.
0: Well, and you guys have been working on this for, for a while now. This is not a necessarily a new project for you, but it's obviously going to take a little while for it to come to full fruition. And and of course, if you're working on books and, and, a, and a longer version of the film and everything else, um, there's still a lot to learn about Sarah Ray. And um, do you get a sense that when she was with us, that she was aware of the impact that she had?
1: That is, um, yes. The answer is yes. Um, but what's interesting is that she almost had a bifurcated life. The Sarah that was on the Babo boat, Columbia, decided that enough was enough. She was done with that. And she was rolling up her sleeves and she was getting involved with a neighbor, her neighborhood. So when she married, she married Raphael Haskell, who is a Jewish labor activist, and she changed her name to Liz Haskell. So people watching this may say, I never heard of Sarah Ray, which makes sense. You know, that was in the 1940s when that happened. But the Action House was still actioning, you know, up until like the 80s. Right, Aaron? I I think it was like the early 80s. -hmm. And so there are people walking around who may not have known Sarah Ray, but did know Liz Haskell and has no idea that they were the same person. Well, does that make your job a little bit more difficult? (laughs) On top of that, she spelled her name L-I-Z-Z. So if you're Googling Liz, L-I-Z, you're still not going to find her, right? So we've had a really hard time sort of connecting the dots. I think we've got them connected now. And that should make the job a little easier. Um, Researching has been hard because of the pandemic and the archives have been closed and you can't get in there. And all that's starting to open up a little bit now, too. So hopefully we'll get some momentum and some momentum around the house itself, especially with this announcement.
0: Uh, Well, you know, and... Again, this seems to open up a whole lot of new avenues for you, Aaron, is, is in terms of envisioning what this film could be, getting access to the house, getting access to all those materials, the poetry, everything else. I, I can imagine that you now are like sitting there thinking, OK, we've got a short film, but now it's going to be something a lot more significant and there's going to be a lot more time spent in the editing suite.
2: <laughs> That's true. We've already been gathering oral histories of people on the east side who knew Liz Haskell and collecting interviews slowly, but surely. Um, And we're hoping that this announcement is going to bring out more people from the neighborhood. They might've, you know, moved to different States. And we're hoping to have, you know, a a sort of reunion of the people who went to action house. They're all, you know, in their fifties and older, you know, forties, fifties, sixties. But, you know, we've talked to some of these people and, You know, one gentleman said that Liz Haskell saved his life and Action House saved his life because he didn't have anywhere else to go. And he would go there every day after school. And um, she was always there. She was listening to him, you know, helping him engage creatively with activities, or he could talk about his problems. So it's those stories like that that really give us Mm -hmm. goosebumps. Um, So we're still trying to figure out what. You know, are we going to do more stop motion in this film? Are we going to cast an actress to play Liz Haskell or Sarah Elizabeth Ray? We haven't yet written the script because we have to do all this research up front, talking to all these people that knew her and scanning and archiving all this stuff that's in the house once we're able to actually get it out. Well, I mean, it's already it does a
0: pretty remarkable story uh, when you think about Sarah Ray um, or, you know, Liz Haskell, um, you know, both stories are pretty impressive. But, you know, when all is said and done with this, I mean, you're calling this the other Rosa Parks, Detroit's other Rosa Parks, which is a lot to live up to. But when you look at her life and what she has done, is that a fitting title?
1: Title yes. I guess is
0: what I'm trying to say there. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, one thing, one observation I, I do want to make, it's a fitting title. And just like we have found out with the Rosa Parks story, there were many Rosa Parks before Rosa Parks. And so Liz was extraordinary, Sarah was extraordinary. We don't know how many other people's stories we don't know and haven't yet uncovered. And and what we're finding is Detroit was quite the epicenter. Of, of progress, of racial progress. We kind of see ourselves as a city that's stuck in the past and can't get past race. And I think it's because it's one city that has never flinched from the actual conversation and complications of being in an integrated, equal society. You know, people have been fighting for that forever in Detroit. So I think on some level, it's undoubtedly a remarkable story. And then on some level, she stands in the stead of people's stories that we're just not going to ever really know.
0: Well, and Aaron, from your perspective as, as a film project, uh, where does this rank for you? I mean, uh, in terms of what you're learning and how frankly, emotionally invested you are in this at this point,
2: I feel almost like Sarah has chosen me uh, because you know, I, I found out about her working on a documentary on the Pablo Boats six years ago. And um, we made the short film and the Pablo Boats film is going to be coming out later this year. But yet this project on Sarah Elizabeth Ray is going to take at least three years. Um, and so I'm kind of forming my life around her legacy now because I feel like she's just so important. And I feel honored that, um, you know, I'm the filmmaker that gets to help tell her story and, you know, collaborate with other people as well. So I'm, I'm super excited. Well,
0: and, and from your perspective, Des, sort of the same question. I mean, you know, I'm not sure this is exactly what you expected to be doing at this point in your life. Uh, and here you are.
1: <laughs> you could say that again. I mean, <laughs> it's just gotten bigger and bigger. And I think that that is, is not a complaint. That's, we had no idea, you know, what we were onto. And the more we know the more important we know that this story is. And I I will tell you, Craig, I mean, this her legacy is is gaining not only the National Trust for Historic Preservation's um, eyes, but other eyes nationally are are really starting to look at the story. And so we feel just so blessed that we're able to say here. Here's what we found so far. And how can we move this forward? Well, I think not just looking out, but looking in you know, for sure. Detroiters to know the story.
0: Well, you know, obviously this is somebody for us to be very proud of here in this region. You know, the, the fact that we had people like this that were blazing these kinds of trails at a time when we desperately needed it is is, is hugely important. Um, and, and there are a lot of people that want these stories to get out there. So I'm going to give you a, a really, really, this is as slow a pitch softball as I can throw you. What can people do to help?
1: Well, they can um, they can go maybe the easiest thing is to go to our website, which is um, saraheray.com Actually and, one I'm small sorry. correction Sarah Project.com. <laughs> Thank you Aaron it's it's brand new. we just changed the name Sarah So if you go there, you're going to find a link to the National Trust for Historic Preservations uh, website where you can sign. Um, a petition and try to help us to get the attention of those who who are preservation-minded and those who are within the ranks of government who are trying their best, but maybe we can move this up higher um, on their list of things to sort of get unlocked so we can get a hold of this story. And also, if you go to um, com, you can find ways to help us get the film done, get the book written, get the research completed. We are... We're just trying to raise money and write grants to make sure that all this happens and so that we can enlist um, many, many people in this effort. And if you know Liz, if you knew Liz, if you have photos, if you want to share photos of the Bob Lowe boat um, with us um, or any encounters, the Action House, man, would we love to talk to you and to get that. So you can do all that at SarahERayProject.com.
0: And I do believe that the former website for the film, otherrosaparks.com will, will lead you right there right now. Yes, so both of those yes. addresses work because for those watching the video version of this, that's the website that is behind, uh, behind Aaron right there. Mm-hmm. So um, that one will get you there as well. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I really appreciate the update um, because this is a project that I have a lot of faith in. I think it's going to be great when you guys are finished. And uh, I think that the research itself is going to be incredibly rewarding for, for everybody involved here. And so keep us up to date on where you stand with this. Uh, because we would like to, uh, you know, definitely when it's done we want to see it I know that much uh, but in the meantime everybody yeah the National Trust uh, for Historic Preservation that's a big deal so congratulations deal. on that that's at least going to keep the house up for a little while and I'll see if I can't make a f- couple of phone calls um, and figure out what we can do to get you back into that house to get some of those materials out of there that would be helpful for everybody I
1: think. Oh that'd be awesome all
0: thank right it, <laughs> all right. well Desiree Cooper we always appreciate it that uh, we will talk to you again soon thank you very sure. much and Aaron Schillinger thank you for being with us as well
2: it was a pleasure thank you all thanks. right
0: and thanks everybody this is the craig Folly show on deadline detroit Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. I really do appreciate all of your support. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, it's important that you share it, that you rate this podcast, and that, of course, you subscribe to this podcast. It all helps. And the more sponsors we get, the more interviews we can do, the more shows I can put together. And I certainly do uh, want to make sure that you are enjoying what you're listening to. So if you have suggestions, you can reach out to me. The Craig Folly Show at gmail.com. Again, that's the Craig Folly Show at gmail.com. You can get through to me that way. It's very, very easy to do. And you can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, just about anywhere. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. The Craig Folly Show was made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. Deadline Detroit has some of the best journalists in the city. We're asking you to support independent local journalism by joining our $3 a month membership. By joining, you become eligible to win prizes, including tickets for sporting events and gift cards to some of Detroit's best restaurants. Just go to our website and click the ad at the top or go to www.deadlinedetroit.com membership.